All right, first episode in, and we started with a fucking banger, y'all. This is going to be a research part. Our, this research was done by Dr. Joe Hofswell, a professor at Western Kentucky University. He's the head of my research team. He's the only research team. But we're going to have a great show, and this one is one of the ones that I think people are going to really like. We're starting off with a famous drug dealer. Not a famous drug dealer, one of the most famous drug dealers. Second richest drug dealer of all time. You hear that shit? You get it in your head? Yeah, we're teaching you someone different. This ain't Al Capone. This ain't the Ochoa Brothers. This ain't that basic Netflix shit. This is Daywood Ingraham Kaskar. Oh, ain't heard of him? Well, get ready, because you're not going to figure. Forget him. This man was born in December 26 in 1955 in Bombay, India. He is still alive, still doing well, about 65, 66 years old. He's been an international fugitive since 1993. He's rumored to live in Karachi City, Pakistan. His net worth is, let me hear it, folks, $6.5 billion. What was that, Steve? Did you fuck up and say Millie? Nope, everybody. $6.5 billion. And he's believed to be the second richest gangster of all time. Wow, Steve. This little Indian dude that no one's heard of is the second richest gangster of all time. Yes, he is, folks. And we're going to learn all about him. We're going to do a little bit of Backup information about Daddy Fat Stacks, you know. I mean, if I'm the second richest gangster of all time, the world's going to know it. I'm not doing what he did. Lay low in Pakistan in your giant mansion with your harem of bitches. Um, I'm going to be flossing on hoes. Gold teeth, fuck that. I'm getting a gold nose. My eyebrows, platinum. I'm going to be freaking out. Let's learn about Daywood. So a lot of these ones, the, the structure is going to turn, but right now we're going to do a little just background information to let everything else become a little bit more understandable. Daywoo Ingram Kaskar. In, his, in the beginning of the book, so a lot of this information came from a book. We'll put up the uh, references later. My main guy, Dr. Joe Hofswell, got most information that, and a lot of stuff on the internet. But guess what, guys? A lot of the information about my guy is uh, not in English and uh, a little bit hard to read, even for a doctor. So a lot of it came from this book. A lot of it came from interviews with press people that were watching it. In the beginning of the book, Daywood has an interview that is published. He claims he is a businessman and is in a booming real estate holdings. He says he's not really a drug deal. He denies illegal activity and swears he would never do drugs or have anything to do with that. But he does make it clear that a businessman should never sample their own product, which is a weird thing to say if you're only... Doing real estate, you know, that'd be a weird one. Just a real estate person that uh, lives outside. Or is he talking about human trafficking and selling drugs? I'm going to go with the latter. Just a little just a little guess on my part, you know. I'm kind of a crazy guy, though. But if I had to put money on it, he knows what he's talking about. He knows that he's so fucking untouchable that he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> At age 10, after his father was fired from his job as a head constable, the family no longer could afford schooling, so he dropped out altogether. Without school, he begins hanging out with street urchin children. So what I understand is street urchin children are what it sounds like. A little crustaceans that uh, go onto rocks and eat krill. No, they are kids that just run around um, Bombay, Mumbai by themselves, kind of like that movie City of God. And society there doesn't really look too fondly uh, upon them. So, this guy's coming from humble beginnings, you know what I mean? No matter where you are, you're probably, if you're listening to this, not as poor as a street urchin kid. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, I'm not trying to glorify these guys, but it's 
definitely interesting to see where they come from. At 14, he moves into a new neighborhood and quickly becomes known as the local goon and already starts and heads his own gang. At 14, love it. Already the head of your gang at 14. What were you, what were you doing at 14? I bet it wasn't running your own street urchin gang. Me, I was playing video games and trying finger girls in the park. What I should have been doing was running the streets with my sea urchin gang in Sacramento and beginning to work on my mustache, and maybe I could have been the second richest gangster of all time instead of a guy telling jokes in front of his TV, doing a show in front of his TV. Who knows? Possibilities could be endless. Might go back, you know? You know, maybe that's the thing. You know, people want to go to, like, uh, you know, John Hancock or, or, or some other nice firm to get rich, you know, investments. Just go to India. Become a street urchin kid. Start at the bottom. Work your way up. His first gang was mainly his brothers, his cousins, and a few friends, which was a, that's what a gang should be. It's also like a family outing, you know. If gangs are just family members, then I've been in a bunch of gangs, normally around Christmas time and Thanksgiving. Um, when I started a gang, though, you know, I did it wrong. I outsourced everyone. I said, I don't want to know anyone, you know, because I thought maybe if we get in trouble, no one can rat each other if we don't know anybody. But I tell you what, if you start a gang with people you don't know, not much loyalty. Oh, I remember all my gang members, though. There was a... Uh, there's that one guy with the big hat. There's old fake tits. There's two noses, which was a funny joke because he actually uh, only had one nose, but the middle part was only one nostril, so he made it seem like he had four. Uh, there was fat kid also. There was weird face. There's fat kid number two. There was cat guy. Um, we weren't sure if he was a man who liked cats or was like uh, three cats standing on top of each other in a raincoat. But when everyone's strangers, we didn't stick together, so my gang didn't work that made no sense but maybe you had a little chuckle who knows guys we're gonna get there we're gonna get there together um starting in 1973 at the age of 17 he stepped his gang up and began an extortion ring where his small gang demanded money from the borras b-o-r-r b-o-h-r-a-s community i said it's spanish badly this is indian i don't know how to speak that but you can look it up which were a wealthy community that put up zero fight and just handed money over to them, which is the perfect lick you'd ever want. I mean, I couldn't say how much that sounds amazing. I'll do that too. Where are they at? Can I go over there? I'll just be like, I could just picture him when he went to the bar house. He's like, listen, I'm going to need you guys to give us money every month or we're going to, and they just hand him like five grand. He's like, well, let me finish. He's like, no, just don't finish. I got uh, some rupees to clean and some sort of tiger invading my house. Next step was becoming a band of conmen, right? You go street urchin, you go to extortion, and then you get a conman. And he thought about this lick, this little juice, all on his own. He would show an expensive watch to someone and say, this is worth 5,000 rupees, but if you come to my stall, we'll sell it to you for 2,000. And the guy would be like, oh, I don't know, you know. Uh, this doesn't seem too shady. And they go, you know what, bro, you seem pretty cool. 1,200. This is 5,000 dollars. 5,000 rupee watch, 1,200. Then he would wrap the watch in the back and then bring it out. Inside was just a rock. And they would say, they would say, hey, man, don't open it here because you'll probably get robbed by guys trying to sell people fake watches. Then the guy walks away, opens it, and if he tries to come back, they're just like, I've never seen you before. Don't know who you are. Don't know where you get that uh, rock that's wrapped up in uh, Daywood's gift shop paper. But I don't know you. And if they went to the police, they would just move his shop, come back a couple days later, 
And honestly, from what I see, I've been seeing, the police uh, easily bought off or influenced. And we'll see a lot more about that in a little bit. Also, that's his first scam. I don't really blame Daywood for doing this one. Because here, here's a little bit of caution to anyone. I'd say never go down a dark alley to buy a watch. I don't think it's ever worked out for anyone, you know? No one's ever been down a dark alley with a guy who's handing you some in a bag and be like, you know what, we became best friends. Just hugged it out. He sold me a Rolex for 200 bucks. He, like, really did that. I don't know why he stands on the corner. It doesn't have many uh, customers with these kind of deals. But it worked out. No, it's also like, uh, I went down the corner and he's, him and his friends beat the living shit out of me, robbed me of everything I have, and made me homeless. Now, so DeWood and his merry men are getting a little known. He's starting to spark interest in the criminal underground community, you know, tight community, I guess, there. So local small-time Don, Don, Don Bashu Dada has a sit-down with Dewu. Bashu Dada is known as being a fucking badass, but like old school badass. Like at this time in these gangs in the 70s in India, I'm pretty sure from what I'm reading, they were too poor to afford guns and stuff like that. So this dude would just go around fucking people up, mainly at his gym. He ran a small gym where he just kicks the shit out of people. But it also kind of seems like uh, he was kicking the, shame sh the shit out of people as the same way as like Steven Seagal kicks the shit out of people, you know, in these videos where he's just like barely moving. He's just pummeling people but he's known as a badass man and when you're a badass and you're kicking the shit out of people and the criminal underground doesn't use gang weapons they just beat people up you're gonna reign supreme the thing is, is Daywood came from the bottom you know he's a sea urchin and Bashu didn't really expect him much because there's like a hierarchy you know even in the criminal underground they're like if you're poor you're gross and so, since Bashu came from the middle class to upper class, he insults Daewoo's father and brother. Calls him poor, calls him worthless. And now, this is our first lesson we're going to about, learn about Daewoo. D don't fuck with this guy. Don't talk shit to him. Don't push his buttons. Just deal with him as a businessman, and you'll probably get out alive or not have the shit kicked out of you. Okay? Daywood, after this meeting, he vows he's going to take down this local guy. Before he was going to work with him, now he's like, I'm fucking this guy up, and there's nothing he can do with that. Bashu is in for it now. now. Also, number two, never piss off a guy with a mustache, okay? Having a mustache on your face is like walking around with underwear on your head, you know? It's like, uh, that guy probably has a reason for it, and he's probably waiting for someone to make fun of him so he can beat the shit out of him. Just think of all the people with mustaches. Hulk Hogan, Magnum P.I., Mr. Potato Head. All killers. All undefeated. So his gang, so this is what his plan was. Which once again, I just love back then Indian gangs. Like, it's kind of good timing, man. It's nothing like anything anyone could walk away from, but still teaching a lesson. So he gets his gang to get a ton of glass soda bottles and light bulbs. He fills these up sometimes with pee, sometimes with other things, and waits for Bashu and his goons to come around the corner. Then he relentlessly pelts them with glass bottles and light bulbs. I'm talking about he gets these guys to go down an alley, it's blocked off, then his friends pop out from all the windows up above and rain down glass. Uh, this fucked up Bashu. This guy was getting pelted with those old... Remember those old school glass bottles that were like 
400 pounds and just just heavy. You know, it was like a jug. Well, that's where this guy got fucked up. And as they're going away, Dayu and his gang actually fuck up Bashu's Mercedes too, right? I wish these gang. I wish I just like gangs in India. India at this time, you know, I feel like things would be a lot better. You know, gang initiations. You're not jumping someone in or killing. You're just pounding Coca Colas and then taking those cokes and whipping them at unsuspecting people. That's, I would join a gang right now. That sounds like a fun Tuesday. Honestly, that does sound like what I did when I was a kid as a shithead in Sacramento. I feel like the guy who suggested these glass bottles was like a real badass, you know? Like everyone in Daywood's gang, like, okay, we got to fuck up Dan Bashu. Don Bashu. Got any ideas? One guy's like, why don't we take pool noodles and just slap him in the face? Daywood's like, I like it. Let's step it up. Anyone else? Someone's like, spitting? It's like gross, but a little more violent like that. And then one guy comes in like the fucking guy from Jaws just screeching his fingernails on the wall. And he's like, I got it. I got something you can do. Soda bottle at their fucking heads. I got to tell you what, though. Attacking someone's car is kind of a bitch move. They woo. No one tell him that, but that's the only one I was not really in favor of. Daewoo is not done. He takes his gang to the gym where Dashu created this tough guy reputation and fucking destroys it. Kicks the shit out of Bashu. Kicks the shit out of his homies. Breaks the fucking gym apart. And somehow gets Dashu to be picked up by the cops. Because from what I'm understanding is the cops are so overwhelmed there. They kind of uh, hire other gang members to get out the top guy. Seems like as long as the cops are worried about kidding the top guy out, they'll worry about the little guys who become that. And it seems like that's where Daewoo is on. So Dashu goes to jail. And Dashu's second place guy gets moved up and becomes a Dawn. The new Dawn, right? Second, Dashu's second in command becomes the new Dawn. And Daewoo, instead of going like, I'm going to fuck this guy up, he goes, this guy didn't make fun of my family. This guy didn't call me poor. And he goes, hey, you want to work together? And the guy goes, yup, you just fucked up my old boss and his business. I need some employment. So this is where Daewoo, at about 18 to 19, is becoming a real deal gangster. He's not pulling in dumb cash. He's not killing anybody. He's not dealing in drugs yet. But he's having a fucking rise, dude. He's putting in work. In the underworld of Bombay, he still doesn't respect and is seen as a kid wannabe dong. He's young from the ghetto but he's built so much and he's pissed he's get not getting the respect he thinks he deserves i mean who hasn't been there i think i should get more respect anyone does fucking cashiers pissed at you when you don't say thank you back which you should be saying thank you and we've learned something man uh don't piss off day woo because he's gonna fuck you up and he's gonna do what he needs to do but you know that's the thing you should do about if you feel like you're not getting respected you know you could, one, complain about it, or you can be like, I'm going to do what the fuck I need to do to become the main Don of Bombay, and that's what he does. He goes after Bombay's gold king and starts robbing his money couriers. Fuck yeah. That's like, I love that. It's like me feeling like I'm broke. I'm like, I'm fucking broke. You know what I'm going to go do? Rob the treasury. And you know what? Could be a bad idea. 
could be a good idea. I'm going to guess this is going to work out for Daewoo because he's kind of undefeated so far. That's like kid. That's like I love how he went to one where like you know you ever heard the thing where he goes like, you know how you get you go to a new school you know how you get respect you go up to the biggest kid and you punch him in the fucking nose and that's what Daewoo did. He goes up punches the gold king in the nose. That being said though, if a kid came to my school when I was a kid and punched the biggest kid in the nose, uh, we wouldn't like him very much because that kid was super nice. And the guy who was just punching uh, Charles in the face was rude. Charles was also kind of had, like, not Down syndrome, but he was, like, autistic and always suck on Barbie heads. So if the new kid just came in and punched that guy in the face, it would be like, uh, maybe this guy sucks and we should have him here. <laughs> so he's robbing his money couriers, and then he goes for the big break. He hears about one of the places that the gold Don is storing all of his shit, and he robs it, and he gets away, and it turns out to be the Biggest heist of all time up until 1970. So not only is now 19 to 20, 21 year old Daewoo getting the fucking respect he deserves. He just knocked out two Dons in Mumbai, India. He has the biggest gold heist up to that date. He's balling. But it's only for a second. Just like anything in life only lasts for a second. Every time you get happy, I get sad because I know something's about to suck more than this. This one made me laugh, though. He and his brother hide out for a few days, but then their dad finds them, and his dad hears that he was the one to rob the gold dawn. And instead of being like, hey, I left you to be a street urchin, didn't let you go to class, school, kind of, I was there for you, but not much. Um, He kicks the shit out of Daewoo and his brother. And I mean bad. He belts them until their backs are healing and then hands them over to the police which is a weird one it's like hey my son robbed an evil goal like what are the police going to charge him with this is the thing that pushed Daewoo to becoming a, a Don a real Don not dealing with anyone else not having anyone else fucking touch him again and from what I read this will be the last time anyone touches Daewoo I love that, though. What a culture, right? I could only imagine if I robbed a bank and then my dad spanked me. I love that. I love how just an Indian... I can't speak for anyone or anyone. I'm just saying from my observations, parents seem to be very, very powerful. And if I was going to have my own gang in India, I would just hire other Don's parents and then be like, oh, yeah, hey, hey, Don Bashu, coming over there with your grandma. She's going to spank you for being a bad boy. That's what I would do. So that's his early life. Right Next up, we're going to talk about how he becomes the dawn of Mumbai and moves up even more. So, so far, let's recap a little bit, shall we? Daewoo, street urchin kid. 14, starts his own bank gang, starts extorting people. 17, kicks the shit out of local tough guy, Don, Don Bashu Dada. By 1920, he just did the biggest gold heist of all time. And let's see where he's in as becoming a path to becoming the dawn of Mumbai. Bombay. Right now, it's about to jump a few, couple years in the future. Daewoo is on his way up. He's starting to feel real connections in the underworld, the business world, and the government. Very important because that's what's about to happen here. My man is getting connected. 
Starting off, the police enlist Daewoo to take down the Pathians, the strongest Indian mafia in Bombay at the time. Daewood weaponizes the police and press against the Pathians. He creates ties in the press to feed intel about the Pathians, and he changes the public perception of this gang. This is gonna be a this is gonna be the beginning of a long battle between Daewoo and this group of the Pathians. Like once again, might be fucking up the pronunciation. In the future, I'll try harder. But right now, first step, let's just go with it, right? But once again, Indians get it right. No drive-bys, none of that shit. These gangs, it's the street level, are taking each other out with water bottles and newspapers. That will change, obviously. But right now, it's pretty good. Let's get it, you mustachioed prince. Now, Daewoo tries to rig a local election for his journalist friend who's been helping him slander the Pathians. But, bad news, the journalist loses. That's not good. Not only does he lose, the Pathians abduct him and beat the living shit out of his journalist friend. I mean, real bad. Kicking this guy up and down the curb in front of everyone. Then, with all of his open wounds, they throw him in a river of shit and piss. Don't want to go out that way. He's then hospitalized and dies from his injuries. Personally, might have just killed myself if I was in a river of shit of piss. But that's just me, you know. I'm a wild guy. I don't know if you come back from swimming in human feces. You know, this isn't Andy Dufresne. This is a man who just wrote, ran for office, got a public beating, and now he's floating, he's floating like a turd down a turd river. God damn. This is obviously this enrages Daewoo, which has been established pissing him off. Not a good idea. Not only about this, but this makes Daewoo realize this fucking power he has with the police, this power he has with the journalism, with newspapers. This ain't enough. This is not where I want to get. I want to get it so when I put my fucking friend to become a mayor, he doesn't get thrown in the toilet like a dead goldfish. Damn, the river of shit and piss. I feel like if I river, if I was a river, I'd be like, hey, you know, we're not the same thing just because we're flowing. I, You know, maybe the river of shit and piss could be called a stream. You know, are we sure it's that big? Is it really need to be? Let's just call it an ocean or like a Lucy Lake. You know, like a Lucy Lake that just, please don't call it a river. I don't want people to know that I could be filled with shit in piss. So the crime writers of this book and the press at the time speculate that this event is what drove then 22-year-old Daewoo to finally cross the line in the to killing. I'm going to be honest, man, even in my days now, if you took my best friend, beat the shit out of him in front of everyone, threw him down a river of piss, I might try and kill you. I just might. I don't know. Is that a bad guy? Does that make me a bad guy? I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, Daewoo does. Uh, the former right hand of Bashu, Khalid, remember hearing about that guy? Um, he's been working with Daewoo out of respect of how, of how he humiliated his old boss. And Khalid goes, yo, I'm trying to show up. I'm trying to show what I'm about. He tells Daewoo he will take care of everyone who was involved in the killing of his journalist friend. That's how you get the job, folks. You don't need a fucking resume. Hell of a job interview, I bet, you know? 
That's how you get the job you want. Don't show up with a resume of how you're second in command of some other sea urchin army. How you how you work nights at the fucking gym. Do something different. Be like Khalid. You want to work at McDonald's? Don't give him a recipe. Say you'll kill that Burger King fuck Hardee's and Carl's Jr. And I bet you're going to be assistant manager. I put money on it. And this is gets a little bit fun. Daewoo respected Khalid because once he pulled off a diamond heist and had all his subordinates take the fall while Khalid walked away free. So it just shows the kind of uh, not tenacity and smarts that this Khalid guy has, right? I mean, you know, in the criminal underground, you have to look up to people fucking over other people, you know? It makes sense. You don't want to get a guy on your team who's like, this guy... Uh, just gives out puppy dogs and to poor kids and never lets anyone else get in trouble. It's like, no, we want the smartest, evilest people. So this is what Khalid does, right? Below is a passage directly quoted from the book about Daywood's life. Khalid did not fuck around, folks. This guy's a grade A psycho, which is exactly what we love on this show. He did not fuck around with sending a message. Now, the guy he's going to do this to is Ayub. Ayub, A-Y-U-B, is one of Daewood's journalists. These guys who killed uh, Daewood's journalist friend. So this is taken just from the book. It's going to be a little wordy. I can't read very much. Public schools of California, thank you. But I'm going to try. One, two, three, let's go. Transfixed by Khalid's sudden entrance... Ayud knew the sinister gleam in Khalid's eyes held nothing but sadistic intentions for him. Ayub and his men struggled to put up a stiff resistance, but the sheer strength of Khalid and his men seemed to overpower even the considerable might of his men. Mercilessly, that's a hard word, I'm an idiot, they beat up Ayub and his group of gangsters. Khalid dragged Ayub all the way to the John Jerry market. This is a huge market. This is like the farmer's market. That everyone goes to. Not satisfied with the moans of Ayub after his beating. Here we go, folks. Khalid took out his knife and slowly but surely started to slice into Ayub's ankles, leaving him at the mercy of his arms to drag himself forward in a hopeless, desperate bid to get away from the inhumane torture he was being subjected to. Cut off his Achilles heels and watched him squirm around on the daw, down, daw, daw, uh, ground. Imagine you're just at the farmer's market trying to get some fucking shallots and arugula. And you're just watching this man creep out on your fucking ankles. As the veins of his ankles trickled blood onto the road he lay on, Khalid gently grabbed Ayu's hands and slowly cut into his wrists, the veins spurting blood across his own face. Ayub's hoarse cry for help went unheard, and the stream of blood grew into a pool of futility. Profusely ble bleeding and unable to move, Ayu Lala succumbed to his wounds on the street. If you didn't get that, to summarize, Daewoo's new alliance member, Khalid, cut this guy's fucking Achilles tendons, beat him as he tried to crawl away, and ultimately slit his wrist in front of a whole goddamn Dongiri market so everyone could see. Woo! Fucking Khalid, you're hired. You can work tomorrow, brother. 
Where do you want? I'm gonna put. I would put Khalid on salary. This guy gets a lunch card each at the buffets for free in the office. What position do you want? <laughs> you can have mine, Khalid. Please keep my Achilles intact. A gang is only as good as its weakest link, and they just added a fucking master lock, baby. No keys. That was some fucked up shit. I wonder if Khalid would have been good at any other jobs. You know? He's just working as a UPS driver. It's like, wow, we don't see any many DHL or FedEx people around here. Dude, just cleaning his knife with... Everyone knew that Khalid and this murder were done on the command of Daewoo. So his stock in the Indian underground was shooting up faster than Dogecoin. Wow. That coin fell actually recently. I'm going to keep it for a while though. And Daewoo is fucking stoked. This is what he's wanted the whole time. He's been saying, why aren't people giving me, why aren't people giving me respect? Oh, all I had to do was hang up people by their Achilles like a charcuterie board pre-sale? No, I love it. He loves his rep so, so much, he now is going to come with Khalid to torture the next guy, you know? It's kind of like a undercover boss, except he's like, I want everyone to know that it's me. He comes with Khalid to torture the next guy, Batla, B-A-A-T-L-A. Bala was another person who was involved with the killing of Daewood's friend. So Daewoo and Khalid corner him in a bar, beat him, sit him down, and proceed to cut his fingers almost off. Almost off. Leaving each finger hanging by a thin piece of skin. Mm -mm. Bala escapes. I don't know how you escape with, with these little wingy fingers. It kind of picks his hands kind of picture when you pull off a rubber glove and it's just like at the tips, but he escapes, turns himself into the police, and confesses to every crime he's ever committed because he didn't want to die and knew it would be safer in jail. Wow. You got to be scared to think it's safer in jail when you don't have hands. I was wondering, like, first off, they did it at a bar. Goddamn. Imagine you're just chilling, drinking an Indian beer, maybe a Chang, you know, maybe an import from Thailand, and you hear a splash and some guy's fucking ring finger ligament just got thrown in your drink. <laughs> I'm such a nice guy, I wouldn't even ask for a beer. You know, I'm like, oh, no, I'll, I'll finish this one. It's okay. I'll just lick around the thumb. He's getting more out there, folks. He knows he can't really be touched at this point, right? He's got police in hand. He's taking out the people that they wanted him to take out. Cuts off a man's ankles and fingers. Doesn't get it in trouble. Over the next few years, the D gang, which is Daewood's gang, named it after himself. Great branding, bro. Love it. Get it. And the Pathians continue to fight and kill one another until a truce is called by an old smuggler. During the truce, Daewoo and his gang begin smuggling electronics, gold, and silver. This is kind of where Daewoo's whole story changes, right? This is where he starts going a little more international, okay? He's getting in the smuggling gang, which still, in my book, I'm fine with that stuff. If you're robbing banks, I'm good with that, man. You know, shout out to Matt Dre, Romper Room. It's just, I don't care. And if you're smuggling in gold, I mean, people are probably, there's probably people suffering from what you're doing, but... You're not selling crack. You're not selling heroin. You're not selling meth. Yet. Uh, I see it on its horizon. Don't know if I'm going to say I called that shot, but I could see it. Other than the horrendous torturing of his friends, who kill, of the guys who killed his friend, David was making most of his money relatively legitly. I mean, smuggling, but in India, I think you just kind of got to do whatever you can do. 
but he's going to get into some stuff. That's going to change. They begin traveling back and forth to Dubai with his men smuggling gold through garbage bins. They would land, throw the package full of gold in the trash, and then the trash man would deliver it to them after they made it through customs. Daewood was arrested for this because someone tipped the authorities to his gang's scheme and the maintenance worker helped them squeal. He squealed. No rats allowed. Not on this podcast. You shut your goddamn mouth. You shut up. Daewood was arrested in 1980 and acquitted in 1983 because he had gained enough power as a don that he could buy off government workers and witnesses. That one's got to be a bummer. You squeal. Imagine if you were in school and you just told on the kid and that kid turned out his dad was the teacher. That's not got to be fun. That's kind of got to suck. Don't squeal. Never works out. Never works out. Unless you saw someone kill someone. Or also, I'm an adult. I'll probably squeal. Not really. I'll probably just punch him in the mouth if uh, it has to do there. That's where you want to get to, man. Buying off government workers. That's like the dream of all criminals, I feel like. I mean, the people who do that in L- in America are called politicians, which may be another reason he calls himself the White House and feels like he's somewhat of a president. I mean, he's smuggling things, making money off backdoor deals, paying off people. Sounds a little bit politicky. Daewoo and his gang discover that x-rays can't find things hidden in your butt. And beginning butt smuggling gold and other things that can fit in a rectum. Daewoo pays smugglers so well that he's never short of getting volunteers to do work for him. I love that he discovers x-rays can't find things hidden in your butt. Uh, How'd you find that out? Was Was that a chicken or the egg? Was he going through the airport and noticed, talked to some TSA guy? Or was he putting a little, uh, little tikka masala up there? That's probably racist. I don't know. I just named a dish. I'm sorry. I like Indian people. I have nothing wrong. Great, dude for, great day for Daewoo, though, when he found this out. Sad day for his smugglers, you know? It's like, all right, guys, sit down. I know we've been smuggling gold and trash bins, and it's been working. They're like, yeah, it's been working great. Love it. Love how I can feel just sitting down. I have nothing uh, protruding that I can uh, makes it uncomfortable. Daewood's like, but I have something better. They're like, no, no, we don't need anything better. Please, please, no ideas. Trash can's good. We're fine with trash cans. We'll just get a guy who's not going to rat. Daewood's like, gold bars. They're like, we're listening. Up your ass. Yup, you're going to be jingling more than a Salvation Santa on Christmas. But, sir, we smuggle so much gold. You can't expect us to all put it into our butt. Yes, you will. And I'll pay you handsomely. How much? Shit ton of rupees. Yeah, I think I could fit that up there. I think I could. I'll practice. How about that? I'll buy some butt plugs called uh, Garden of Eden. Um, how much you got to find? How much you paying someone? I mean, this is India. They're probably pretty poor at this time. How much are you paying people where they just line up to smuggle gold in their anuses? It's a good question. Why don't you ask that yourself? How much would you need to get to smuggle gold? Because, like, do you really get in trouble with smuggling gold? You can't get, like, heroin deals, right? You can't get, like, cocaine, like, in trouble. What if you just smuggle weird things in your butt? Do you get in trouble? Like, I just pull it out, and you're like, that's actually... A hologram Charizard card. So I don't know if it's illegal. I just want to keep it in the safest place. Also, I think keeping butt butt gold is the safest thing. You know? 
when you travel, you're supposed to keep that little fanny pack so people don't steal it. If someone's able to steal your butt gold while you're on vacation, you need to look at yourself, buddy. Okay? That's on you. Why is it so dark? Broken between the Pathians and the D-Squad. Because the Pathians kill Daywood's brother, Sabir. That's going to ruin, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Might ruin a couple friendships. They do him fucking gangster movie style. They follow Sabir while he's out with his favorite hooker. And when he stops for gas, five men get out of different cars, pull the hooker out, and then unload on Sabir while he sits in his car. And as a final insult, they insult, they bring out Sabir and they slit his wrists. This happened in around February 1981. The truce is now broken. His brother is dead. And Daywood is fucking pissed. Once again, though, you know, class of Indian gangsters. Uh, they pull out the prostitute. Love that, you know. It's like, hey, let's go murder this guy. But Oh, there's there's a trick in there. Hey, look, excuse me, man, if you don't mind exiting the car, we're about to helter-skelter on Sabir. Also love how much Indian gangsters love slitting people's wrist. Like, I don't know if there's like an emo pop punk hot topic thing. Like maybe they slit his wrist while listening, blasting cap and jazz and My Chemical Romance. I don't know. Not my type of music, but get it. Or was it for the cops, you know? You just paid off the cops so much, you know? Detective comes and he goes, yep, we all know exactly what this was. Suicide. Suicide at gas station. Slit his wrist. Oh, but sir, there's gun. There's gun shells everywhere from different, from different weapons. Nope. Just a sad man. Listen to Simple Plan slitting his wrist. Also, he's full of gold. Gold is pulling at, pouring out of his butthole as he dies. Who needs a bank? Shove it up your tank. <sighs> but people, don't forget this thing. Always important. Don't fuck with Daewoo because he fucks you ten times harder. And we're going to learn about that right now. Daewoo uses his brother's funeral to determine who will be on his revenge list. Not by the people he comes with, but he gets his core group of guys there and he starts making a list. He begins looking for contract killers and even looking at mafia hitmen. In January 1981, he begins the killings of the people involved in his brother's death. Now, he gets so many assassins and murders all of these people... That there's no trace to him. This isn't a Khalid thing where he goes and does it. He kills 15 to 20 people, all via contract killing. No one comes back to them, and they all die from different things. You know, gunshots, stroke, poisoning. This leads him defeating, almost defeating all the Pathians. All of them. So now he's the main fucking guy. He's got the police on his side. Can't get touched. Killed the Pathians. Daywood's gang now starts to blow the fuck up. Huge. Popping. Everyone's doing it. It's like Pokemon Go five years ago. Everyone's just wandering around with a D Company shirt on. Mainly because in the 80s, due to a lack of jobs and him being one of the few Dons willing to accept non-Muslims, everyone joins his gang. He's also paying people well, you know? Fucking socialist, if you ask me. No, I'm kidding. Daewoo, uh, open mind minded murderer crazy person yeah or probably saw that there was an opening to get a lot of muslim people on his side 
and he seems more a lot of times not to be leaning on the side of good, but to be leaning on the side of profitable. So in 1986, he's rounding up some of the last of the Pathians, and Daewoo kills a rival gang member while he leaves his favorite hooker's apartment. Daewoo and his D-gang, D-company, D-group, relentlessly shoot into the elevator he is exiting, killing him and injuring his bodyguard. They're stoked. Pathians are done. What could go wrong for Daewoo? A housewife will happen to be in the elevator, too. Just a passerby. <sighs> right when you think you're reaching the top, you get fucked over, right? This causes the police to stop le le looking the other way. They stop letting them go because people are getting mad, you know? Just like now, really, even America, they kind of let shit go on for a while if you're just pe killing people in the game. But once you come out, man, it's not going to be good. That's the story of how he became a Don. We're about to move into some heavy shit. What we've learned so far, don't fuck with anyone Daewoo likes. Don't have a favorite hooker because that may lead you to your untimely demise. If you only kill gangsters, the Bombay police will not fuck with you. And for the love of God, don't fuck with a man with a mustache. The D Company explosion and Daewoo's establishment as a Middle East and Western European trafficker. My guy Daewoo is moving up. No more waddle bottle drive-bys or that shit. He's gone international, and this is where this shit gets spicy. Muy caliente. And our guy Daewoo uh, takes a dark turn. Turns to the profits. And he's going to get profitable. Once moving to Dubai, Daewoo continues to increase the size of his D company. I often increase the size of my D company. Not as much since I'm getting older, but I still uh, still get that shit in. What's going on, guys? You love that stupid penis joke. He would often call in anonymous tips to police and let them know where his rivals were doing and when they would be getting various deliveries. So, kind of turning into a snitch, a little bit of ratty, a little bit of tattletale. What do we do here on this podcast? You don't fucking tattletale, man. But... He's been doing his work with the police. He probably still has some people in there he's paying. He's giving them information. He's kind of always been doing this. Daewoo became so good at removing himself from crimes that his gang was bold enough to walk into a hospital and shoot up rival gang members with only a few D Company men actually getting arrested by the police. So Daewoo's at the top now. He's in the corrupt city of Dubai. He's running his operation hands off, and he's sitting pretty. He's still the dawn of Mumbai. Okay, let's not forget about that. He was running most of his shit through to Mumbai. He's still running that. But now he's sitting in some funky-ass fucking circle tower in Dubai on some ocean that they made. And he's untouchable. At this point, Daewoo was so influential as a don that it was common for the end of December to be full of parties thrown by his subordinates and well-wishers in his honor for his birthday. He would take note of who was throwing the parties in his honor, how good they were, but he would never attend. This would also influence on who he would reprimand or take action against. And I love that. Petty as fuck. That's great. That's something I would do. I mean, I would go to the parties because I'm a fucking weirdo and I love to party. But it's pretty fun to be like, <laughs> all right, so Sniffly Tom, you sit there in dirty underwear. You never do your job, but you throw a fucking rager. rager. You're the next dawn. Old Cut Fingers Khalid. Love your work, brother. You've been with me from the beginning, but... You threw a small kickback. 
can't up you because it's parties, baby. Daywood's about parties. No, Daywood's about image, and his image right now is pretty good in the underworld of the Middle East and India. This is where things take a weird turn. Not a weird turn, just a different turn. The 1993 Bombay bombings were a series of 12 terrorist bombings that took place in Mumbai, India, then known as Bombay, on the 12th of March, 1993. The single-day attack resulted in 257 fatalities and 1,400 injuries. Daewoo was believed to have ordered and helped organize the bombings through his subordinates Tiger Mimam and Yakub Mimam. Tiger and Yakub were brothers. Yakub was a powerful accountant, and he helped his brother, Mimam, kind of do illegal shit. And Daywood was helping them plan to execute the bombings. Mimam handled Tiger's funds, funded the training of 15 youths who were sent to Pakistan to learn handling arms and ammunition, purchased the vehicles used in the bombing, and stockpiled weapons. So like I said, this is where Daewoo comes less fun, less street urchining, and now he's uh, funding terrorist groups. Uh... The reason Daewoo helped support a terrorist attack was because of the television footage of Hindus tearing down a mosque in a disputed area. He wasn't doing this because felt bad for the Muslims. He was doing this because he wanted to up his rank with Muslims, especially now he's in the Middle East, and he thought this would be a good idea. The Pakistani ISI group, which is a terrorist group, called a meeting of Mafia Dons in the Middle East to ask for support in the attack. D Company provided mem many members to help them out. They also provided men, materials, created 10 bombs that were detonated around Bombay on March 12th. And they kind of trained the guys to do it in Pakistan, right? The attack brings Daewood international attention. Articles are written about him across Europe and the Middle East. The true reason Daewoo became involved in the attacks is because he became aware of a small-time smuggler named Tiger Mima. He asked that Tiger be the one to plant the bombs and organize the attack on Mumbai, Bombay, right? He's going up to the guy and be like, hey, I really love your stuff, man. We should collab. And then you're going to see what he does with this collab. He knew Tiger would want to be seen as a hero. However, this forced Tiger to flee India, which resulted in his smuggling businesses dissipating and allowing D Company to continue to assert dominance in the Middle East mafia in black markets. Daewoo was so methodical that he saw participating in a terrorist attack as an opportunity to get rid of s rival smugglers. Damn. That's some next level thinking. I mean, evil? Sure. Hell yeah. But smart too. You can't say that. That's Daewoo though, man. This man is thinking 10 steps ahead of everybody. I mean, how many people are in fucking India and the guy rose from nothing to get to where he is? He even used a terrorist attack as a business opportunity which you know kind of sounds like 9-11 a little bit daily thought helping an attack would actually make him loved in the muslim community but made everyone kind of really fucking pissed off because it brought a lot of heat that no one wanted he felt so guilty he actually reached out to the indian government and tried to negotiate some terms of surrender he ain't going to jail but he's like hey you guys want to pretend you arrested me i'll give you a bunch of money but they refuse the indian government is finally tired of daywoo they ultimately refused because too many politicians were rude. He would reveal their connections to him and thus take away their positions of power. So what does he do? He moves to Pakistan. So he can get protection from the U.S. and India. In 1994, he has moved to Karachi in Pakistan because one of his top lieutenants makes a deal with the Indian government because he's worried that Daewoo is going to kill him. 
He exposes most of D Company's dealings in India, which allowed police and the government to seize a lot of Daewood's assets in India. This also gives them political power to pressure United Arab Emirates to give up Daewood and his associates living in Dubai. Daewood uses his ties up with Pakistan ISI to move into Pakistan. As far as Pakistan is concerned, Daewoo doesn't exist in the country, but there is a massive White House in Karachi City. His kids have had enormous weddings in both Dubai and Karachi City as well. Dean Company continues to deal heroin and opium with low-level distributors doing all the dirty work and make sure there is no trace or anything back to Daewoo. As recently as 2020, Pakistanis journalists just called Daewoo's house. Like, this guy's not hiding. He doesn't give a fuck. They called him to confirm he was living there. His wife answers the phone and she's like, yeah, yeah, Daewood's here. He's chilling by the pool. Awesome. Over the past five years, he has been rumored to die several times. Most recently, it was rumored that he had COVID and had died from it. He did not. I got to say, though, you know shit's not going well when you got to move to Pakistan. No one has ever been like, yeah, family's great, got a raise, very involved with the church, so we're going to Pakistan. Nothing wrong with Pakistani people, I'm just saying, if they're harboring these kind of criminals, probably not the best place to go. I'd be like, what is a realtor pitch there? Is that a too racist a joke to do a Pakistani realtor? I'm not going to do a voice. I just love to hear the realtors pitch, you know? Are you on the run from the Indian government? Are you a huge fan of the Pakistani terrorist group, ISI? Do you have a fondness for bombings? Well, if so, I've got a place for you. This little hut in the desert has dirt floors, windows with no glass, and a beautiful view of sand. Do you like your chicken a little gritty? Do you like your butter a little gritty? Do you like your yogurt gritty? Yep, sand's in the fucking air. Come to Pakistan, baby. We're here. Who needs friends or an alarm carp when the sound of gunfire from terrorist organizations fill the air? Moving availability on the first, furnished and non-furnished options available, and a $500 pet fee. No bulldogs. No, I've actually never really seen Pakistan. I'm just talking out my ass. It's probably a beautiful place, but, you know, trying to make jokes, trying to make this funny, trying to make this sicko shit a little bit enjoyable. It's just not information getting fed to you. They would like to party with Bollywood actresses and actress, actors and actresses from the Middle East elite. But after his bombing, everyone kind of distanced themselves from him and stopped attending his parties. I love him just like, hey, it's Daewoo. Good to see you again. We haven't seen me in a while. They're just like, oh, oh, were we friends? Sorry, man. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard from you since you bombed all of Mumbai, bro. Jesus Christ. I mean, you get to a certain point where the government can't touch you. No one can touch you. You think your actions have no consequences, except when you're dealing with Hollywood elites, Bollywood elites, when image is everything. Matter of fact, one starlet was seen with him at a cricket match in 1995 and had her career completely ruined. Anyone seen publicly associated with him at the government? Anyone seen out with Daewoo? The government considers a traitor. Damn. You got to have some good friends, man. I don't know if I got a friend that... I don't know if I got a friend that I could be friends with and the government called me a traitor and the only way we're going to hang out is if I then move to Pakistan. Maybe Joe Rogan, right? Everyone's moving to Austin. <laughs> Austin's not Pakistan. Austin's a wonderful place. But, you know, whatever. Joke's kind of still funny. Even though he wasn't directly associated with him, Daywood gains attention of the U.S. intelligence after 9-11. Why? You're going to soon learn here. Because Daywoo is now a smuggling maestro. 
He's got the shit on lock. He's doing whatever he wants. And these smuggling routes were also used by who? Al-Qaeda, which put him in league with bin Laden and his people. It is also suspected that a lot of his drug smuggling is gained from the help of Al-Qaeda members. This relationship with Al-Qaeda was established to get better access to opium heroin coming out of Afghanistan. Beyond Al-Qaeda paying D Company to use their smuggling routes to escape into Pakistan, they brokered a relationship between opium and heroin growers in Afghanistan that provided D Company a steady supply to send to Africa for processing. D Company has also helped run guns from Pakistan. Additionally, in Dubai, they were known for counterfeiting Indian money. Daewoo is suspected to be the main trafficker of narcotics coming from Afghanistan and Iran. Homeboy is the plug the routes he has established brings the drugs to africa to be processed and manufactured he then distributes them completed product to south asia the middle east and europe prior to 1993 bombings he had traveled to afghanistan under the protection of al-qaeda to examine the heroin opium coming from the country he has partnerships with al-qaeda where they pay him to use the smuggler routes for their own purposes so he's getting uh shouldering with uh pretty bad people and he can't really travel anymore because he's getting known and he's getting in trouble. Daewoo was specifically named in an executive order by George W. Bush to be a terrorist sympathizer. That's not the letter you want to get, you know. I hate getting value pack coupons. That'd suck if fucking Biden was just send me a letter that said. Also, I love how he can just send him letters. How does I guess George Bush can know anything with the CIA and FBI? But he got his address and was like, should we call him? No, nah, just send him a letter. I'll write it. Parchment paper. Maybe email him. Let's fax him next time. The executive order also put pressure on Pakistani government to turn over who they were harboring. Pakistan has a long history of hiding various criminals and terrorists from the world in order to pursue their own economic interests and benefit from the income provided by those of the Middle Eastern criminal underworld. Daewood is also named as a global threat due to his large-scale shipments of narcotics that travel to the UK and Western Europe. The U.S. government estimates D Company has over 5,000 known associates that deal in the Middle East criminal underworld. At this point, Daewoo is so notorious he actually sublets his name to drug traffickers and gambling dens in Pakistan, Thailand, South Africa, Indonesia, Malaysia, and the United Emirates. I mean, wow. That's next level drug smuggling. Daewood is using his fame with international governments, agencies, to his benefit again. Everything bad, he flips it to help him. He's a, He has fucking credits now. Imagine him at a comedy show. It's like, this next guy, what can I say? You know him from his light bulb fights with Dash U, his 1993 bombings in Mumbai, his smuggling operations with Al-Qaeda. George W. Bush recently said he was a terrorist sympathizer, and he's been on The Tonight Show more than any other comic. We're so proud of this guy. From the bottom of our hearts, give it up for Daewoo, the mustachioed sea urchin, Ibrahim. He's getting some notoriety, and you know what you're thinking. This is all going to come to an end. Nope. He was given Pakistani citizenship in 2003 and is now known under two alias Iqbal Seth and Amir Sahab. Iqbal is I-Q-B-A-L. Seth is in Seth Rogan. And Amir Sahab, A-M-E-R-S-A-H-A-B. So now he's got a dual citizenship with both India and Pakistan. Can't really go back to India, so it's just Pakistan. And that's uh, how this high, that's how high this guy is in the government, man. He did it. Not bad choices of names, though. 
But I wonder if he got to choose those names. If I were to choose my Packy's name, I would have... I mean, I've thought about this a lot. I'm not going to lie. I'd have to go with Ghulam Goshtap Hakeem Iskander, personally. Uh, I've never really felt Steve Fury fit. When I look in the mirror, the person I always see looking back at me is a Ghulam. Always a Ghulam. Always will be. Check out what Pakistani name you want. They're kind of fun. The author of this book speculates the U.S. has never gone after Debu explicitly because they want to keep both Pakistan and India happy. U.S keeps Pakistan happy by looking the other day when they say we aren't harboring the fucking worst people in the world and keeps India happy by issuing executive orders and orders and putting criminals hiding in Pakistan on international most wanted lists. The author states the U.S. is uninterested and will be a perpetual fence sitter until Daewoo does something that affects them directly. Nothing more American than that, right? Good God. It does not matter to the U.S. that he smuggles guns, drugs, gold, electronic, and silver around the Middle East and Western Europe, which I think I'm fine with. I mean, I feel like this isn't the first time the U.S. has said no to putting its no. <laughs> this is the first time the U.S. has said no to putting its nose in the Middle East. I bet if we do go after him and we get him, it'll have something to do with oil. It's like, oh, shit, he actually might be sitting on this giant ocean of oil. How is Daewoo doing currently? Well... Forbes has Daewoo as the 50 most powerful person in the world due to his D-Company empire. In 2011, he was ranked 57th, and he is now no longer on the list. I don't think it's because he's gotten less powerful. I just think, uh, you know, some of the most powerful people aren't put on fucking Forbes list. That's just going to be, that's just my guess. Daewoo ha uh, has been declared an international terrorist, and that limits his ability to move around. Pakistanis officials see this as an opportunity to put a leash on Daewoo. They keep him there. He keeps giving them money. In turn, Daywood exploits Pakistani love of Bollywood and Hollywood and begins an incredibly lucrative pirated Bollywood and Hollywood movie business all over Pakistan. Once again, the guy finds the benefits. Never stop hustling, man. I mean, honestly, he had his fingers in gold, gems, silver, gems, electronics, guns, drugs, and now bootleg DVDs. This guy does everything. He's like the cheesecake factory of international criminals. After bin Laden is killed, Pakistan actually deploys rangers to safely move Daewoo to Saudi Arabia. They did this on the ground in order to avoid CIA agents monitoring airports all over the Middle East. A few months after everything around bin Laden died down, he returned to Karachi and threw a gigantic wedding for his son. Where he's still today, 65 years old, chilling in Pakistan, running. The drug empire he has. That was our podcast for today, guys. What do you think? First episode, pretty informative. I think it was pretty good. I'm going to throw some of the references on uh, a little bit under this. Uh, all right, here is the Daewoo Ibrahim Kaskar summary. Born in December 26, 1955 in Bombay, India, he is now around 65 years old. He has been an international fugitive since 1993 he now lives in pakistan he's worth an estimated 6.5 billion dollars and is believed to be the second richest gangster of all time he started life as a poor street kid and joined the gang at 13 by 15 he was the head of his own gang and extorting locals by 17 he had kicked the shit out of local don bashu and took over his side of the city by 19 he robs the biggest mafia don in bombay which was the biggest gold heist in that country's history up until that point at 2012 
22 rival gangs, the Pathians, murder his friend by beating him to death and throwing him in a river of feces and piss. In retaliation, he kills everyone involved by cutting off their fingers, slicing their Achilles tendons, and cutting their wrists to bleed to death in the streets. This makes the Pathians call for a truce. In the 1970s, he starts smuggling gold, silver, and electronics into the Middle East. 1986, the Pathians break the truth and murder his brother, Sabir. Dawood then kills most of the Pathians and uses his smuggling routes to flee to Dubai and Pakistan. While in Pakistan, Dawood makes connections to the terrorist group, the Pakistani ISI and Al-Qaeda, because they share smuggling routes. The bombings cause all goodwill felt to Dawood to be gone, and he retreats deeper into the Pakistani countryside, where his gang still controls, and he still controls them. Using his smuggling routes and connections to terrorist groups, he expands his distribution of drugs, guns, electronics, gold, silver, and human trafficking into Pakistan, Afghanistan, Malaysia, Africa, and Europe. Dewu is still alive today. He has an estimated value of $6.5 billion and one is the and one is one of the richest drug dealers of all time. All right, everybody, that was the end of the first episode of World Owned Drugs with me, Steve Fury. If you have any problems with any mispronunciations or any questions or anything, make sure you send an email to worldondrugswsf at gmail.com. Once again, want to sh- give a shout out to my research team, Joe Hoffswell at Dr. Joe Hoffswell on Instagram, if you want to give him a follow. Um, here's a little thing I'm going to do. I'm going to start shouting out other podcasts. Uh, number one, Time Suck with Dan Cummins. If you like these kind of stories and in-depth stuff, check that one out. The Dollop, check that one out. Um, my f- buddy Frank Castillo has a new Instagram show called Peak TV with a lot of my friends. You guys should check that out. Um, that's about all we got, guys. Make sure you come back next week. We're going to have a bunch of uh, interviews and more in-depth research of drug dealers. What more can you want, guys? I'm here for you. Hit me up. Uh, follow me on Instagram, at Scuba Steve Fury. Uh, thanks, guys. See you next time.